Hey guys, welcome to a very special bonus episode of Coffee, Wine, and True Crime. I am here today with our social media manager, Brittany, and our friend, sorority sister, and fan of the podcast, Abby. Welcome, guys. Hello. So, as we start all our podcasts, what are you drinking? This should be interesting. Brittany doesn't drink. You're not drinking anything? No. Oh, I can get some water. <laughs> I guess, well, I have um, a truly raspberry lime, and then I have Yum. water, too. I have a Riesling that was found in my fridge because I forgot to throw a seltzer into my fridge or a beer, and then I have water. All right, so I guess before we start, we need to put a trigger warning. This episode contains discussion about child sex abuse and child rape, so listeners' discretion is advised. All right, so today's episode will be focusing on the Children of God cult, and I've been wanting to do a cult for like two or three weeks now. Brittany knows. I've been like going like, I want to do a cult. I want to do a cult, and then we didn't record. Then I did another case because it was requested, and then we didn't record again because... Jordan yeah, I looked a- today and saw that there was no new episode, and my heart broke again. You know what? I told Brittany, I said, let's make it up to Abby and have her on. Yes, I appreciate this very much. So my plan is with these bonus episodes, if people like them, is to start a Patreon, and then these are the episodes people get through Patreon, and, you know, have special guests on, have other podcasts, have our friends kind of thing. Just make it, like, a little more fun. But, yeah, so I wanted to do a cult one, and we didn't record because Jordan was at a horse show, and then I hurt my elbow really bad and was in a lot of pain mm-hmm. because... Stop laughing. <laughs> she knows how I did it. What'd you do? Um, I rolled over in bed and my arm hit my bedside table in the corner. And it's like that spot where you hit your, you hit your um, elbow in the spot where it's like your nerve, your muscle, and your bone. And I hit that really hard. Yeah, that was not fun. Were you like was, waking up or were you like, no, I was turning in your sleep? No, I was like fully awake. It was like at night. My little 15-pounder decides to sleep in the middle of my queen-size bed, so I was squished to one side. (laughs) All right, well, I guess to get back on topic. (laughs) So, the Children of God cult was founded in 1968 in Huntington Beach. So, we know it was going around 1968, summer of love, hippie culture, counterculture, um, just kind of a crazy time in American history. So, a lot of cults are actually, like, starting out. I guess at this time. So the original name was um, Teens for Christ because they used hippie teens that were like runaways and um, and teens were that were, you know, all that counterculture stuff. Um, they used the teens to spread their message, which was pretty normal at that point, um, which was the love of Jesus. And used members, they used music and that counterculture and that hippie culture kind of stuff. The founder was David Berg. He was born on February 18th, 1919 in Oakland, California. He grew up in a Christian and evangelical home. Um, he grew up with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which after I, I'm Jewish, I don't know any of this shit. So <laughs> from what I read, that was evangelicalist faith. So his mother was a reverend. And he spent his early years on a mission trip with his parents, like, but he finally grew up mostly full-time in Miami. 
So David Berg became followed his mom's footsteps and became a minister in the Christian and the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and he was placed at a church in Valley Farms, Arizona. And I believe this is all in like the 1940s. So he was later expelled from the organization for um, quote unquote differences of teaching, but it was really because of alleged sexual misconduct. I guess is it, and you might mention, is it common for cults to base like their rules or teachings off of like some religious tie or religious aspect? Yeah, so I found a lot of cults actually, like if you think a lot of them do folk, do have a religious aspect and then they just take it to the extreme to the point where the leader's like the second of God or God itself kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So he married his first wife, Jane, in 1944 and they had four children. So some other shit happened between then and 1968, but it's not really important. So, and then I think it was 1969, he married, 1969, 1970, he married, remarried, and he, he had a second wife. 1968, the cult's growing. They're using music and counterculture and teenagers to get their message across. As that happened, as most cults do, they get you in and then their message becomes totally different from what you started with. For them, they're, according to David Berg, his, the message became quote unquote revolutionary, or what I just say, just plain yucky. So it was a combination of a religious apocalyptic and a sex cult. But you know, as most apocalyptic cults do, they, the world doesn't end when they say it does, and then next thing, it is no longer an apocalyptic cult. We'll just ride that one out of our Yeah, thing. they're like, oh, wait, it didn't end. We were joking. We just want to make sure you're prepared. <laughs> so a pretty common saying um, within the children of God was God loves sex because sex is love, and Satan hates sex because sex is beautiful. Berg encouraged adults to have sex with anybody, even with children. He also thought incest was okay, and it was, quote, unquote, best to learn from your family. So he was totally okay in normalizing sexual abuse and raping of children, which is disgusting. Mm -hmm. So the members lived in communes and didn't work because of the doomsday part of the cult. So they lived day to day and they didn't make any long-term plans. Um, And to make money, they did like street performances because a lot of them were musically talented or they begged for groceries on the street. And according to some ex-members, they were only allowed to keep 10% of what they made. Um, So this is, I'm just going kind of through the history, and then I'll get more deep into, like, the sex abuse part. So um, David Berg was seen as God's prophet and went by many names, like Father David, Moses Moses David, Mo, short for Moses, King David, and Grandpa. So, like I said before, he got married a second time, and his second in command, or his first in command after him was his wife, Karen Zerby, who was like 20 or so years his junior. She joined the cult right as it started in 1968, and um, she became later um, David Burke's second wife. So this cult was international. Um, They had sex all over Europe and in Asia as well. So... David Berg and his wife, they constantly moved, and he lived in seclusion, and he only communicated with his followers by writing letters that were published for the cult called the Mo Letters. Um, 
there's like 3,000 plus letters. Um, you can you can find them online. I didn't want to read any any of them because I didn't want to give that website the satisfaction of my click. <laughs> um, so no one really know knew what he looked like unless you were living in the household that he was in, because any publication that depicted pictures of him, his face was always like drawn to be a lion. So he was always seen as this like prophet figure. So in these letters, he wrote about the spiritual and practicing subjects of the cult. He introduced policies and religious doctrines. A lot of the time, it was just a rant about his extremely evil and hatred views on mainstream churches, pedophilia law, and of course, as most cults are, they are anti-Jews. So the, the cult grew pretty rapidly, and by 1972, the cult was international, like I said, with 130 communities, and at one point had over 150,000 members. With everyone using this idea of like free love and hippie counterculture and like sex with anybody was okay, sex was also used as a way to get people into the cult. So a term Berg came up with was called flirty fishing, where women and men had sex with people outside the cult to try to indoctrinate them into the cult or just straight up prostitution for money for the cult. So um, some people after who studied the cult said it was called religious prostitution. So get this. So researcher Bill Brainridge estimated that between 1974 and 1987, members had sexual contact with 224,000 people while practicing flirty fishing. Like more people that were in the cult. They originally started like with the laws of Jesus and everything, but then Berg, as the cult went on, he came up with the new teaching called the law of love, which his followers must abide by. He basically used this to say everything had to be done out of love, and it was like used to justify any behavior that the cult saw as positive, like sexually abusing children. So throughout like all the years, the name of the cult changed, but their main message didn't. So I'm just gonna like do a quick history of all the different names and just they are still a cult today. So like they still have like active like members and things? Yeah. So the original Children of God um, was abolished in February 1978 because of quote-unquote serious misconduct and financial mismanagement of the leaders. There's also um, leaders use their abuse of authority and there's a disagreement about using flirty fishing because that didn't come a standard practice until really after 1978. Um, and it was also abolished due to the claim that there was a lot of evidence to the mainstream world that there was, um, that they were sexually abusing and raping minors. So he reorganized it into the family of love, which lasted until 1981. So flirty fishing became a bigger standardized practice and um, it sort of died down as the 80s continued into the late 80s because some said, mostly because of the fear of the AIDS pandemic. So um, this is also at this time between 19, around 1978 is when it became way more internationally known. It was operating in a bunch of countries, almost it was like 80 some countries. Um, members were moving country to country. You know, people were living in Europe and then in, moving to Asia and so was Burke, he was moving all over. 
Dr. Joaquin Phoenix and River Phoenix were born into the cult because, but because of the expansion of flirty fishing, their parents left in the se- late 70s. But besides that, nothing changed. Sexual abuse of minors was still like a main thing. So in 1982, um, they changed the name to the just straight up the family, and that lasted until 2003. So in ni- so the family sent a statement in early 1985 to their members that said, quote, reminding them that any such activities, adult child sexual conduct, are strictly forbidden within our group. And in 2005, Claire Borowick, a spokesman for the family, stated that due to the fact that our current zero tolerance policy regarding sexual interaction between adults and underage minors was not in our literature published before 1986, we came to the realization that during a transitional stage in our movement from 1978 until 1986, there were cases when some minors were subject to sexually inappropriate advances. This was corrected officially in 1986 when any contact between an adult and minor was declared an excommunicable offense. However, um, when I was watching this documentary on A&E about it, um, ex-members who were in the cult in the 80s said that the cult just put that out um, publicly to stop getting kind of like looked into by authorities and the backlash of it. So um, in 1993, a letter, a secret letter was sent out to members that they only said that statement um, publicly due to the backlash and that, quote, a little fondling and sweet affection is not wrong. So they're still like, I know, being okay with like sexually abusing minors. And also a thing that really pissed me off when I was reading and researching it, that people would say sex with minors, but technically you can't have sex with minors. It's sexual assault or rape. So I'm going to call it what it actually is, which is rape and sexual assault. Mm-hmm. So David Berg died in 1994 in Portugal at the age of 75. And when he died, he was under investigation by Interpol and the FBI. Um, so his second wife, who was also his first in command, Karen Zerby, took over leadership. And in 1995, there was a case out of Britain um, involving the cult, but the case found that they stopped the sexual abusing of minors and that the family was a safe space for children. In 2004 and to the present, they still operated. Um, it's still ruled by, ruled by Karen Zerby, and the new charter is called the Charter of Love. They still love and promote the love for Jesus, which I think at some point got a little lost in there. And they claim to have 1,700 members. So they're still, they've had a big drop off, but they're still sort of going strong, which most cults um, after their leader dies kind of just disband. But I think it was like in the 80s, late 70s, early 80s, when they just started having like a big drop off of members. Um, So this is when like the hard part starts is not like a lot of stories about the sexual abuse and raping of minors so like i said before adults raping and sexually assaulting kids wasn't like it was encouraged so like leaders would literally just go up to random men in the cult and be like you're having sex with this 12 year old and like set it up so david berg was known even before he would sexually assault he like sexually it's he assaulted and raped his own children 
and granddaughter, which I'll get a little more into. So in the A&E documentary, I watched Extreme Cults and or Cults and Extreme Beliefs. It's like a, it's like I think it was a one season show. Amy Brill, um, she was born into the cult, and she said that sex and abuse was used to control the kids and their behavior because they're all second generation, so you had to use something to make them stay and be dependent on the cult, in a sense. She says the introduction of the idea of sex was introduced to her at age eight. Says that children were basically open, anyone could come up and just use them. Because she was musically talented and the, the cult used music, so she, um, she was moved from her parents' house at the age of 13, and she was moved into Berg's household in the Philippines. Um, so moving kids away from their parents was normal for an attempt of control and to like shape their behavior and allow the leadership to take them and abuse them. So she said that he would call girls up to his room and spend time alone with them. And when she was 13, Berg said she was now one of his wives and were married. And then she sexually, he was, she was sexually abused and raped by him. And then a few months later, I guess he got bored of her and she was sent away. So her best friend in the cult growing up was Mary Berg, who was David's granddaughter, and she was also a child bride of Berg's, and he raped and has sexual relations with her. Like, he raped his own granddaughter and technically uh, tried to marry her. How many wives did he have, like, total? Do you know? Um, it was unknown because he would just, like, tell women that, like, children that they are now his bride, and then, like, get bored and like send him them away and then it was kind of like a rotating thing but legally he was only married twice okay but he had many wives because you know love and sex is fluid apparently because she refused at like age 13 to have any relations and with her with Berg um she was severely physically and psychologically abused and expelled from the cult at age 18 um, in 1995, she was involved, she got herself involved in that case out of Britain, and she publicly testified against Berg, and this was, like, the first time a lot of people took notice because it was his granddaughter saying all the horrible things that he, he, he did to her. And because of this, the sex abuse and the psychological and physical abuse against her, um, she had after to um, use drugs and alcohol and severely abuse them. And she died at the age of 45 due to her complications with drug and alcohol abuse. So the suicide rate within the cult is so high from ex-members um, of all the sexual abuse going on and uh, people know it's wrong. A lot of people know it's wrong even within the cult. So um, Amy Brill said that she knows 100 former members that committed suicide including her own father. And when he committed suicide when she was in her early 20s, and because he committed su committed suicide, she officially left the cult. Was it easy to leave? Like, could you just leave or? Um, I don't think so. So the thing was, none of them, they were so isolated that none of them really had any education. They were all technically homeschooled, which they, a lot of them didn't even finish high school kind of thing mm -hmm. so like I guess even if you wanted to leave you had no it'd be hard to survive on your own exactly um 
So another ex-member who was born into the cult, Dawn Watson, told the, told the Sun that she remembers being exposed to images of naked women nailed to crucifixes and hookers for Jesus posters. And she said, quote, I never had any father figure growing up in the community, not someone that was a man I could relate to and feel and can feel was protective of me. I always looked at men and uncles in the community as danger and I wanted to be as far away if, and I wanted to be as far away as, as I could from them. And she, I think she left, she escaped at age 13. By the Phoenixes um, were in that cult. So actor River Phoenix's parents joined the cult when he was three and he said he remembered losing his virginity at age four. And um, I believe he committed suicide when he was really young in his 20s. He died from drugs. Okay. Thank you. So probably the biggest known case um, that involved suicide was in 2005, David Berg's stepson and Karen Zerby's son, Ricky Rodriguez, committed suicide, committed a murder-suicide. And this is kind of when the, the cult came back into the media. So he committed, he killed one of his old nannies who sexually abused him as a child, and then he killed himself. So Rodriguez was said to be like the chosen child um, because he was the next step in line after Berg. And when adults would want to ha- would have sex with boys, he was the second he they would have sex with him, um, the leader son. So former members report that he was raped by his own mother at age eleven, and he was also forced to watch others have sex and have sex with Berg's granddaughter Mary. So kind of the small heroes in all of this is ex members um, Anik and Ron Schreiber. Um, they were ex members who. Um, helped members who wanted to leave, leave, and get adjusted to the outside world. They would give them jobs at their company kind of thing, let them live with them, be a voice for them to listen to, and um, they said they've saved at least 50 members so far, and they continue to want to help those who are already out or those who are looking to get out. So yeah, that's it, kind of just an overview, I mean. There's a bunch of stuff on this. So uh, my sources were A&E's Cult and Extreme Beliefs, Season 1, Episode 3, Vice, The Sun, Esquire, IMBD, allthatsinteresting.com, xfamily.org, which is like a Wikipedia about this cult and like tells you the important people and everything, Wikipedia, people.com, CNN, and Rolling Stone magazine. So that's the dark history of Children of God cult or aka the family. So what do you guys think? I have a side note. I was looking into the um, Ricky Rodriguez, the one that did like the murder-suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and it said that he had filmed a video prior to- He did, yeah. Him stabbing the babysitter where he explained like what he planned to do and he mailed it to a friend. Um, and then the friend released it to the public. And the New York Times said in the video, he, caught, he saw himself as a vigilante avenging children like him and his sisters who had been subject to rapes and beating. There's, and he said, there's this need that I have. It's not a want, it's a need for revenge. It's a need for justice because I can't go on like this. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And- 
that's why I think a lot of members have committed suicide or used alcohol and drugs because they just can't live with what was done with them, what was done to them, or even the older members who did it sexually, who were so what indoctrinated. Yeah, mm-hmm. what they did. So it's just, I don't know, it's just a terrible situation. And I was kind of surprised that the FBI could never pin them down enough to mm-hmm. do a raid or anything. Um, but I was watching the documentary and someone's like asked why why have really no one heard of it and someone said because those within the cult didn't believe they were raping children so and that's why I think a lot of people haven't didn't hear about it at the time it was really going on and that's why it didn't really get brought up I mean the FBI and Interpol did have open cases on it but I think that's why it wasn't they didn't really like have a raid or anything Mm -hmm. because they didn't think what they were doing was wrong I guess I didn't know about it and I didn't know about cults in general because I looked and like in the definition it does say a system of religious like veneration and devotion Mm -hmm. directed towards a particular figure or object um so I guess like in all of them there is a somewhat of like a religious aspect right and this started off as some teenagers handing out pamphlets about jesus too do you think they use teenagers because like you can maybe more easily manipulate those who are like young yeah i mean definitely they're more form formidable and then also with that counterculture everyone was running away and you know people were like possessions mean nothing and like everyone was hippies during that time and so you can definitely use that idea of counterculture and kids running away and not wanting, you know, that idea of having a normal, I guess, secular capitalistic lifestyle to your advantage. Because um, if you look, the Manson murders, the Manson family was going on around that time too. And they kind of used the same thing. But they just killed people. But... Yeah, I didn't know this either until I Googled, like, top 10 cults, and this one came up. Mm-hmm. But, because I was going to do something, I think, a little closer to home, like, up on the East Coast. But this one just made my heart hurt, and then I hate that it's still going on. Mm-hmm. Well, I just think it's interesting and also, like, frankly, scary that one individual can have, like, these thoughts of harming like children and other people, but then can convince other people to believe the same things that they believe. Yeah, exactly. Like if someone like came up to us and was like, do something bad. And like, it was someone like we really respected. I think we would have, I mean, we'd say no. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand like how you get 150,000 people to follow one person, but I mean, we weren't alive in the 70s. We don't know, like, you know, with the whole counterculture movement and everything and using the younger people and using music, which was a big deal back then and everything. I mean, we don't know. Maybe people were looking for something else and the people who started cults were able to just use their power and ability to kind of pull that out of people. But... Um, it's something, it's something else. 
What do you think, Brittany? You said we still have like seventeen hundred members, right? Is that what you said? I said yeah. Do you does it say like how many children are still involved? No. And that's just a guess from people. Um, but they're still international. And the last known whereabouts of Karen Zerby, I think, was Mexico. Because they just moved so much, so, so like, it was hard for people to, like, I think they moved because it was smart, because then it would be hard for authorities to arrest them if people didn't know where they were, and if they always moved. Some heavy stuff, Sarah. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I bring you on the podcast to have a good time, and I talk about sex abuse of children. <laughs> Jordan and I are going to try to have an episode out on Sunday. Um, we should actually get one this week. I don't think I'm going to look for it. All right. Abby will let me know if it's not out on Monday on her commute to work. Yes. <laughs> she will let me know. Brittany, you want to do the social media exit? God, okay. <laughs> Since it's your... Social media. All right. Follow us on Instagram at Coffee, Wine, and True Crime Podcast and Twitter at DWATC Podcast. And always leave us a five-star review on Apple Pod. It really helps us. And the more listeners we get, we can do a Patreon, and we can come out with more of these episodes for you. I can just do cult episodes. I can do whatever you want. I have all the time in the world on my hands for hopefully not much longer, because your girl needs money. But, um, yeah, so we're going to try to look into setting up a Patreon. So, yeah. Bye.